funniest things that happened to me. Last, last thing, and I'll jump in. It was a few weeks ago, and I was preaching. I accidentally screenshotted my screen on my phone. And when I screenshotted it, it literally left the time the same. You know, if you screenshot your phone, nothing moves. And every time I look at my phone, it was like 1130 something. And I would preach and preach and preach. I'm like, I'm going to keep it short this morning. I look back at 1130. I'm like, this is one of those moments. I'm thinking it was like in the Bible when the sun stood still. I'm like, and I'm looking at it. And, I'm gonna, and then finally, I'm like, I'm getting kind of worn out for this being a short sermon. And I touch it. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. And it was like almost an hour in. And I'm like, that's a screenshot. So that was pretty funny. Um, but this morning, I, I want to talk about something I haven't really talked about in a year or two, and I think it's foundational for who we are in this church and who we, who we, what we believe, and it's the idea of warfare, but it's a little bit different than most of you, what you probably consider warfare. I actually don't like most warfare sermons. They're depressing. And um, I like to talk about it, though, from a perspective that's a little bit different. Um, Bill Vanderbush calls it joyfare. He said in the New Covenant, it's joyous. We win with joy. And I want to talk to you a little bit about what it looks like to, um, if you want to call it fight from uh, the covenant we're in, this side of the cross, because things have changed. When the cross happened, I don't know if you know this, it was a pretty big moment. It's a pretty big moment, like change the calendar big moment, like started over, reset on mankind big. Getting there, all right, all right. And so there's this, there's this thing that changed that we actually now don't have to fight for victory anymore. Isn't that great? We actually get to fight from his victory now. This is completely shifting things because it's a lot of responsibility when you feel like you have to win the fight. But he already won the fight. And there's a much different viewpoint that many of us don't talk about when it comes to warfare. And so I want to talk about it for just a few minutes. I'm going to go really quick. I'm going to shoot a lot of scripture references at you, so I would write them down because I'm going to go really quick. But the devil's name actually means the accuser. How many know that? The devil's name means accuser. The devil's only weapon he has left is his mouth. Before, before you make him into someone bigger than he really is, I want you to realize that the only thing he has left is his mouth. That's it. That's, that's his title. That's who he is. He is the accuser. So the greatest reality about us living a victorious life is actually understanding that the majority, if not all of the warfare we face, happens between our ears. That's, that's where the battle takes place. The battle takes place in what we hear because his only weapon is his mouth. So what do we do with that? And the problem that we often face is that we don't quite know our identity in Christ. And if we don't understand our identity in Christ, we actually don't know how to fight. I meet people, they're so worn out. And often, often there are people that carry so many burdens. And, and I'm going to be careful with titles because I, I, I hate blanket statements because it could throw a lot of people in that. But often it's people that have a heart for intercession because they fight. Sometimes they don't let go of it when they're done and they carry it. I remember Bill Johnson saying that his wife was a happy intercessor. It's a sign, wonder, and a miracle because <laughs> she's happy. But intercessors, not all, but some of them carry a lot of burden if they don't know how to let go of that. And two, a lot of times they don't know how to fight. And so we're fighting the best we know how, but there's a way to fight. How many know the old saying, you don't bring, you know, you know, you don't bring a knife to a gunfight? 
you don't have to bring a knife. You don't have to bring a gun. He's already shot and killed the enemy. We have to enforce the victory that he's already done. Amen? And so I'm going to get somewhere, but hang there. I'm telling you, if you grab this, it will make you really happy. Really happy because it's going to take a lot of the weight off of you and understand what he's done and how we can enforce it. But one of the things that we have to know that's foundational about warfare is our identity in him. But I'm going to go a little bit, a little further and say we need to know our position in him. Position is different because position is tied to authority. Look at it from a workplace. Position means how much authority you have, right? You come into a job. You're the newbie. You have no authority typically. If you're like, you know, thinking about like a young person working their way up. Maybe the older you get, you get to step into a new job and you've done your years. But let's think about a young adult that's taken their first job and they, let's do Chick-fil-A because that's where all the godly people work. And, and <laughs> I love all my Chick-fil-A's. The more I get, the more um, and, and so some of you are like, wait a minute, you're offering. And so, but you've got these people that step in, and when they first come in, the first thing they do is they have no authority. They just work. Like, you're the one that, like, hey, if that box needs to be moved, move it. If the floors need to be mopped, mop them, whatever. And as you go up, things begin to change. You begin to go up into different positions. Maybe you become a shift manager, and now you have an authority over that shift. You don't have authority over the whole store. You have authority over that shift. Or maybe you become a store manager. Maybe you become a regional manager. Maybe you become a president. But how many of you know that the higher up you go, the more authority you have? How many of you know that if you don't understand where you are in Christ, you don't know how much authority you have? If you've been taught your whole life you're a worm... That if you hang tight, you may make it to heaven. Where's the authority? Because I'm just a worm. When actually the Bible says that you're seated in heavenly places with Christ, which means that it doesn't get a lot higher than that. (laughs) And he says, that's what you have. And so our authority is directly tied to our position. It's not an issue of what position do you have. It's an issue of do you know the position you have? When you're saved, you're immediately elevated to the highest place in Christ. There is no striving. You don't work your way up there. I mop the floors enough. I vacuum, you know, listen, we all need to have the heart of a servant, but it doesn't earn your way up. When you got saved, see, that's, that's the scariest part about having church with people that know who they are. Because it's easier to control people. It's scarier to have powerful people that know that there's no striving. I'm serious. It's easier to control, and it's scarier, though, when you get powerful people because they begin to realize, I'm a powerful person, just like you. And that's good. But it requires something called healthy communication, which we haven't, aren't always the best at. But we're working on it. And so we begin to understand our position in Christ. You can't go higher. You're as high as it gets when you get saved. But if you don't know your position, it robs you from your authority. And so then you fight. And do things that you didn't have to do. And there's nothing, there's, uh, there's nothing more. What happens is, is you become hopeless. But many of the people that you meet that are hopeless don't know really who they are in Christ. Many of the people that you meet that are just hopeless do not know who they are in Christ. There's nothing more unnecessary than a hopeless believer. There's nothing more unnecessary than that. When I meet someone, there should never be a hopeless believer. 
And I can tell when I run into a person, I can feel it off of them. And I love to just come in and just sh shake some goodness into them. You know who you are? You know whose kid you are? You know who your dad is? Come on. And it begins to stir something when they begin to find their, not only their identity, but in their identity, their position in the Lord. And when they begin to understand their position, they begin to understand their authority. I'm going to throw out some, I'm going to machine gun some scriptures at you. Acts 17, 28 says, in him we live and move and have our being. John 15, 4, we abide in him and he in us. Ephesians 2, 6, we have been seated with him in heavenly places. These are where we are. This is our identity. But because of that, here is your, here's the truth. 1 John 4, 4. Greater is he that is in us than he is in the world. Romans eight thirty seven. We are more than conquerors. Amen? Amen. You guys should get excited about this stuff. Come on. Philippians 4, 13. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Matthew 16, 19. He gave us the keys of the kingdom. I said us. It doesn't give just the preachers the keys of the kingdom. Us. Us. The keys of the kingdom. And when we begin to understand that and we begin to abide in him, we begin to understand that we get to fight from the place of victory and his arsenal is ours. <laughs> My son's getting into airsoft stuff which is really cool. Like, I have to be honest. Like, as a dad, that's cool stuff. We're getting, like, we watched Cars like 12,000 times when he was a baby, the movie Cars. That was great. But now we're getting into, like, guy stuff. And he's getting into Airsoft. He's picking out all of his rifles, and he's picking out the, all the stuff that goes with it. And I'm like, dude, like, my kid's going to be stacked. Like, he's going to come out, like, loaded. And the cool thing is, like, it has very little to do with what, I mean, some of it he's buying, but his dad's backing him. <laughs> his dad's backing him. <laughs> How many of you know that there's something about when dad backs you? You guys realize, like, when you are facing the enemy, your dad is backing you. He's backing you. You don't reach for, you know, whatever you need, and you don't have it. He said every spiritual blessing is yours. It's yours. And so when we begin to understand that, there begins to become a peace. And when we face the enemy, it's not so scary anymore. I had a friend that used to be in the ATF. He was an ATF agent. And um, <laughs> he had more toys than anyone I've ever seen. ATF, you know who those guys are? They're the guys that kick down doors and do fun stuff. And they also do boring stuff, but lots of gun stuff. And... Um, and uh, I remember we were riding around, and he came to church one time, and he's like, hey, you want to see what's in my trunk? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so he, like, pops the trunk, and it goes up, like, barely, because there was a chain that big, because it had to keep it so no one could go in his trunk and take his stuff out. So poof, he put his arm in there, unlocked this thing, and, and poof, I was just, just, whoa. Dude was loaded. I mean, he had every every whatever gun he needed to accomplish the job that he had to go out and do. How many of you know when I'm riding around with him, I'm not worried about much? <laughs> I, I, dude, we can ride through the scariest of scary places. I'm cool. I'm cool. There's a place that you get to that when you begin to understand in the Father and whom you're in, you can ride through scary places and you're like, it's cool. I, I know, actually know what I have and what he has and we're good. But so much of it is right here. We don't know where we're at. We don't know who we're in. Yeah. 
And so that's what we have to talk about. And so much of that is what I'm going to call pre-cross mentality, which was warfare before the cross. It was hard, man. There's a lot of rules. There's a lot of rules. Like thousands of rules. Like some of your haircuts wouldn't cut it now. Like those kind of rules. Like pants, not pants. You know, all these weird things. You know, just rules, 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 rules. And he said, you know, when I come and when I die, we're going to do a master reset. We're going to get rid of a lot of that because from now on, it's going to be written on your heart. Now, that scares people because that puts responsibility on you. Because it's easier for me to have a list of rules. But when he takes away the rules and says, you're good, do what you feel in your heart. How many parents know I'm talking about? Like with kids, you raise them, and at some point, it's like, I've done what I can do. I trust you. Follow your heart. You're not going to send them out with a pamphlet. Uh, don't do this, don't do They're going to trash it on the way out the door. I've met people that have tried that. They may have waited if they're scared of their parents enough to trash it once they left the house. Well, that ain't going to do anything. What do you tell them? I've poured into you. Follow your heart. Follow what the Holy Spirit says in your heart. And when he came, he says, I'm, I'm creating this new, this new way of doing life that I'm going to write my love on your heart. And follow your heart. And after the cross, everything changed. After the cross, never again, never, I want you to grab this. After the cross, never again does a, a believer have to fight for victory. They always fight from victory. It doesn't matter what it is. You say, well, I still have a problem. Well, just because it hasn't manifested in your situation yet doesn't change that the victory has been won. I remember listening to a preacher, Joseph Garlington, one of the funnest preachers you'll ever listen to. If you've never listened to Joseph Garlington, go YouTube it and enjoy yourself. He's amazing. And I remember him telling a story one time of his little girl, and she said she had a headache. And he's like, well, baby, just, just, just declare you're healed. And she's like, okay, Daddy, I'm healed. And she said, but, Dad, my head still hurts. And he said, yeah, I know. He said, he said, that's just the reality of what you're feeling. He said, but at some point, truth will always overcome reality. And the thing that we have to begin to do is we have to begin to understand the truth of what we're in. And I want to talk to this a little bit. Um, the Bible says that, uh, let's just flip here. I thought I had them all written down, but 1 John 5. You still with me? Yeah. This stuff excites me, man. This is my, my heartbeat. 1 John chapter 5 and verse... John 5.11 says, and this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has his Son, whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I want you to get this again. This is, and this is the testimony. This is our testimony that God has given us eternal life, and the life, and this life is his Son. I want you to understand this, that in his son we have life. In his resurrection, you were raised from the dead. When he died, we died. And when you gave your life to the Lord, you were raised with him. 
And so here, we, so here we have this passage that talks about that every believer, doesn't matter if you just gave your life to the Lord last week or if you've been living for the Lord for 50 years, no difference. You both have the same amount of life. Paul says in Colossians 2.15, he says, Satan was disarmed and made a public spectacle. <laughs> I love how Paul thinks. Paul's like, listen, the guy was, everything was taken away from him and he was just made, the, the devil was made to look like an idiot. Like in our words. He was disarmed and he was shown for who he really is. And he was made, the, the Bible says in 1 Peter 5, 8, it says that he is like, he's walking around like a roaring lion. The really important word in that passage is like. You got to get that word like. <laughs> what does that mean? He's an actor. He's an actor. He, he literally is acting like a lion. He's not a lion. Your dad's the lion of Judah. Oh, man, I'm, I'll tell you what's going to happen in a minute. This is going to explode in some of you, and you're going to find out, wow, I really can be free, and it's a lot less work than I thought. I just have to be secure in him, and it will blow your mind. I do probably a lot less warfare than a lot of people because I like to live from a place of just victory. Do I have problems? Yeah, I have a lot of problems, and then being a pastor, I have a lot of other people's problems, so I have lots of problems, but if I start trying to fight for people's victories instead of showing them that you've already won, I just got to show you how to tap into that, it'll wear you out, but I'm not going to live in that place because I get to say he's already won. I just get to live in that, <laughs> so what are we afraid of? We have an acting devil who's an actor that the only thing he's got is his mouth. And he's the big bad one. <laughs> I'm just leaving it here for a second for you to think. I believe that he's like the, you know, the end of Wizard of Oz. You think there's this big bad, <laughs> And everybody's afraid until they see who he is. Say, huh? I want to bring a generation into seeing how little he really is. I want to, I want to bring, I want to bring back making a spectacle of the enemy. Like I'm tired of you making a spectacle of believers. I want to see you humiliated. I want to live in a place that I'm so strong in my identity and who the Lord is that the devil does not want to mess with me because you embarrass me. The devil want, he doesn't want that. So here's the devil, exposed, powerless, naked, disarmed. And here we are, believers that are clothed in Christ and blessed with every spiritual blessing. So where's the battle? It's in our minds still. I want to I show you something, and I've done this before. And uh, I didn't bring any props or anything, but I can just pretend I did. One of the things I love watching about um, uh, the Super Bowl is the end, like end of the season. They've won whoever's the winning team. Um, they're out, and all their families come on the field. You know what I'm talking about if you've ever watched football, you know? 
it's, it's, it's a game, guys. It's, like, it's a big game, like, you know, so everyone knows. At the end of the game, there's the, they bring out their kids, and, you know, they're out there. And, like, what happens? They give out hats. They give out T-shirts. They give out all this stuff. And they bring their kids out. And all these little kids, there's these big old football players, and they got their little kids. And all of a sudden, the same guys that were, like, plowing people into the ground are like, oh, come here, buddy. And they're holding their little guy. They're holding their kids, and their kids are walking around. What happens? Most of the time, you'll see them, like, put their Super Bowl T-shirt on their kid, and he's got their hat hanging off his head, and they're like, what's happening? They are getting to take part in their dad's victory. That kid didn't do anything for that victory, but he gets to step on the field. He gets to come down, and he gets to put on all the gear and say, yo, we won. (laughs) He didn't do anything. It almost seems scandalous, but that's called grace. It's amazing. Like, really, it's more than a song. It really is amazing that you get to have his victory. That he came and said, here's the deal. I'm going to die. I'm going to win the battle for you. Then I'm going to give you an inheritance. But you know what? I'm going to come back and show you how to use it. He didn't just leave you an inheritance and say, hope you can figure that out. He said, you know what? I'm going to send the Holy Spirit because you need him. Oh, man. So here's these kids. They're on the field, and they're celebrating, man. They've won. Dad won. Yeah. That's what it looks like for you and me. That's what you do in here on a Sunday morning when you come in, and you sing, I'll raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. I'll raise a hallelujah. I don't know any more words of the song. <laughs> you get to come in. You get to say, he's one. So I get to celebrate. I get to put on his t-shirt. I get to put on those blessings. I get to put on that hat. I get, to, I get everything. Why? Because my dad won. Well, what about, what about, what about when the enemy gets us? Good question. Well, here's the thing. Even on the Super Bowl, there's still people running their mouth. There's always the other team that lost. (laughs) I'm brutal with the other team if I was the winning team. Like, I'm brutal with my friends when they've lost. But it comes back on me when my team loses. But how many of you know that when there's a winning team, there's always a losing team? I don't know what it is. My empathy leaves at that moment. My wife, my wife is such an empathizer. She's like, I can't watch it. They're crying. She's like, I can't watch these big dudes cry. <laughs> Makes me cry. I'm like, but we won. But there's always another team, and there are always going to be people that thought it was unfair. And there's always going to be people that said, you didn't really win. Uh-oh. And you know what? When you're in that celebration and that celebratory atmosphere and there's jo- rejoicing and all that, you're good. But how many of you know when you begin to step into a place where you begin to entertain the voice of the loser and say, well, you know, that's true. That's questionable. Did we really win? And you begin to entertain the voice. And here's the thing. The enemy has zero authority over you. People are like, well, then why does he cause me so much trouble? Because he's got a big mouth. And when you begin to believe his lies, you take his lies and empower them. 
And when he says to you, well, I don't know that you really won. When you say, uh-uh, here's the t-shirt, here's the hat, we won. But when you say, well, you know what, I don't know that we really did win. You just gave him authority. And all of a sudden, you just created a playground for the devil in your life. And he comes in and starts saying things, and he starts bringing all this stuff. Well, you know, this and that and this and that. And the more you entertain, you begin to do this, I'll call it a demonic playground in your life where the devil hangs out. And when you step on that area of your life, he's talking. He's talking. But it all started when you stepped out of the atmosphere of victory and you entertained the idea that maybe I haven't fully won. This is so huge. I'm not downplaying the things people go through. I'm telling you, I've seen a lot. I've been through a lot. I get that. What I'm saying is, is that I'm not going to come in and allow sympathy to rob you from what God wants to do. Compassion will lift you up from where you're at. Sympathy will often make me get down where you're at, and I don't get back up. I meet people that are so sympathetic that they're so sad because they just go cry with everybody, but you never bring them up. Don't get me wrong. Empathy is powerful. The Bible says every time that Jesus was moved right after that, when something happened and it says, and it moved the heart of the Father, a miracle happened. I'm not saying to not have the power of compassion and empathy. That's okay. But sympathy says, let me just cry with you. And that's it. How do you feel? No better. Actually, a little worse now that you came. I don't want to be the person when I show up on the scene, they feel worse. There are some people that that happens, nobody in this room, honestly. That I, but sometimes some people come and it's like, I'm having a hard time. And they sympathize to the point, I'm like, you are making me feel worse. Like, please stop. Can you just have faith for me? I need faith. I need someone to have faith with me. I don't need someone else to tell me how bad it is and hang in there. I, I get that. I really do. I get, I'm clearly aware of how bad it is. And I know if I don't hang in there, it will be bad as well. I get that. I really do. I need someone that comes in and says, I know this is hard, but listen, you got this. You're clothed. You're wearing the championship outfit. You have every spiritual blessing that you need. You've already won. Just sometimes it takes a little while for it to reflect in every situation. It doesn't always happen immediately. And it's powerful when we begin to understand that after the cross, Jesus has done everything he's going to do about giving you the victory. (laughs) Whoo, that got quiet. The greatest tool that the enemy has is his mouth. And the greatest thing he can do is to get us to keep fighting with him and making us think that we have to fight this pointless war when we could come in and say I'm not doing that I've already won Hebrews 2 14 says therefore since the children share in the flesh and blood he himself likewise also partook of the same and through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death that is the devil and might free those through fear of death 
were, who were subject to slavery all their lives. I am no longer a slave to fear. There's a reason we sing these songs, guys. Like, there's a, like, one of the things I love about Tiffany is that she filters every song through the finished work of the cross. There are some depressing Christian songs that have been written. And I, I listen to them, I'm like, oh, that makes me feel terrible. And maybe in the bridge it comes around. But then they go back to the chorus, and you're like, oh, I thought we were there. <laughs> Tiffany, every song she picks, she filters it through the finished work of the cross. Even if there's lyrics in it that she loves the whole song, she'll tweak them. Amen. You'll go listen to somebody else sing them and be like, oh, they're singing that wrong. <laughs> no, it's because we've changed them. Because we believe in the finished work of the cross. Amen. And we're not going to sing songs about how bad... If we could, we're, we're, we're not going to make it. I'm not, I'm not a wretch anymore, all right? I'm not. He just said it right here. You're no longer slaves. <laughs> I'm with you. Let's go. Let's go. Let's do it. The devil is powerless. I'm going to have to wrap this up, all right? The reason that so many believers feel like they have to keep killing their old man is because often the enemy is speaking in your ear all about your past. Okay, you got to get this. I mean, a lot of people that, that they, they keep feeling like they have to keep killing their flesh. First of all, when you've gotten saved and God's redeemed you, he made your flesh, so if it's in love with him, it's okay. So let's drop that. Some of you just think the word flesh means sin. It's not true. David said, my heart and my flesh cry out to the living God. So drop that term for me. Here's the deal. The enemy will come to you, and he will speak in your ear. Because here's the thing. The enemy can't read your mind, but he's seen your past. He, can't, he doesn't know what you're thinking. He doesn't get in your head, but he knows what you've done, and he's seen how bad you've blown it in the past. So he can come to you and say things about your past. A lot of people, when they hear that, they start like, I'm trying to kill their old man. He's dead. You are a new creation in Christ. It's done. If you, you know, that, the baptism, what was that representation of? You went down. Old man's dead, new man's up. There's a reason we don't baptize you every time you mess up. It's done. Some of you would be baptized constantly. You know, it's, it's done. It's done. But the enemy does come and speak in your ear and say, you know, how about this and this and this and this? And you're like, oh, that flesh is trying to come back. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's just the enemy trying to remind you of who you were. Because he knows that your authority is in your identity of knowing who you are. And if he can try to remember, remind you of who you were, he takes away your authority because your authority is in who you are in Christ. And so he comes and he speaks in your ear and says, oh, you're, you're not as holy as you think you are. <laughs> or he'll say, you know, your holiness, right there is the lie because then you've taken holiness and made it based on what you do. And that's not biblical because we're holy because he's holy Amen. and we're in him. Amen. And so that's a lie. But if he can convince you to think that your holiness is based on how you behave, 
don't get me wrong, there's still consequences if you act dumb, if I can say that. <laughs> there's still consequences if you do things that you shouldn't do. Okay, don't get me wrong. But I can't become more holy. I can't make myself more holy. The day I gave my life to the Lord was, I got it all. I am holy because he is holy. And now I'm in him and he's in me. See, this is, this is really shifting. So I can feel it in the atmosphere. It's shifting some of the ways we think. But it changes things. So many believers, they go and they entertain the voice of the enemy and they take off that victory shirt, take off that hat. And I've seen them, man. I've seen them leave a conference or a Friday night worship night and they're clothed. They got their hat on, their shirt on. They did everything. And they're like, woohoo. And next time you meet them and it's like it's all stripped off. And you're like, whoa, what happened? Oh, the enemy's just been beating me up. Why'd you take off your victory clothes? Because <laughs> you understand? It doesn't change the fact that he still won. The only thing that changed is what you think now. The sad reality is the only person that can strip you from the victory you have is you. I want you to grab that. The only person that can strip the victory that you have is you. He can't. Your parents can't. Your friend can't. Your spouse can't. Your child can't. Only you. Yeah, your pastor can't. Thanks, babe. <laughs> You're the only one that can take off the winning jersey. You're the only one that can strip off all of the victory. Because all he can do is just try to convince you that you've lost. It's not an issue of Jesus stepping in and rescuing us. It's an issue of not leaving the victory. The enemy's always going to speak accusations. He's always going to speak lies. That's what he does. But the reality about warfare is that we don't need to learn any better ways of winning. We need to learn how to stay in the victory that has already happened. That's what we have to do. We have to learn to stay in the victory. And there's three things that we do, and I'll give them to you. The first thing, and these are simple. If you do an inner healing session, you're going to go through these things. But I'm going to give you a tip so you can do it on yourself. Identify the lies that he's told you and you've agreed with him. Well, how do I know it's the lie? <laughs> well, number one, if it's bad, it's a lie. Identify the areas that he's lied to you. You agreed with him. He came into you and said, whatever it might be, you came in, he told you this. You are 
you're never really going to amount to anything. I know you've been prophesied over at church a hundred times, but we really know you're not going to turn into anything great. It's a lie. Find the things that he's spoken into you. The second thing is remember that the only way that those get empowered is that you've come into agreement with them. Okay? So the first thing is figuring out what it is. Second thing is saying, okay, I have agreed with these, which is what's empowered these. But when I, when I stay, I break my agreement with that thing, then I took away the power from it. It's like taking the gas out of the gas tank in the car. It ain't going nowhere anymore. I break it off. I break the agreement. But you have to understand, it's important to break the agreement because your agreement gives it power. Break the agreement. And the third thing is to come back into the truth. I, I, there's so many ways of doing inner healing. There's so many ways of dealing with this. I'm just trying to keep it simple. Three things that will change your life. Identify the lie. Get good at getting them fast. The quicker you get them, the easier your life gets. You hear it? Instead of sitting on it for sometimes like, some of us have been sitting on certain lies for 10, 15, 20 years. Get to the point where immediately when you hear it, ah, 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 that's a lie. And then you begin to quickly deal with it. And then you, and the ones that you have came into agreement, break the agreement. And then step back into truth. That is huge. I meet people that never do that. And then they break the agreement. And they find the lie. And they don't step back into truth. And they come out feeling so empty. They're like, well, I've dealt with that. But I just feel raw and empty. Well, that's because you didn't step back into who you're supposed to be. You've cut off who you're not. And you're caught in this weird spot of, I'm not that. But what do I do? Good thing to start with is start going over the promises that he's given you. One of the greatest things you have in warfare is your promises. I'm telling you, I keep them. I personally keep them on my phone. I have audio notes. I have regular notes. I have them in writing. I email them to myself. I have them everywhere. I have some like, I have things that are on sticky notes that I put them on things for a season. I want to see it. Every time I get ready, I look at that. There's a, there's a lady that's coming to, um, to minister in August. Her name is Demetria Stallings. Dimitri is amazing. She's my, she's like my colored sister from another mother. Like, like we are buddies. We do, we have, she's an amazing vocalist. She's won Dove Awards. She, but she's a prophetess. And every single prophetic word she has given me up to this point has come true. I mean, she's accurate. But when she gives me words, I record them and I listen to them over and over and over. And when I start feeling the enemy come against me, especially with the church, because I'll start feeling them coming against me and, oh, you blew it. You know, that's my lies, right? You know, that's what I hear. You should have done this differently. I pull out my recordings and I start listening to them and I start stirring up my spirit. And like David said, I strengthen myself in the Lord. Why? Because I'm not listening to that. But sometimes what you need is to be, you know, just strengthened. What strengthens you? The words. Write them down. Even if you get a piece of it, even if you didn't get it all, just just whatever you got, write it down. And stand on those. This is what it looks like. This This is how it operates. Warfare on this side of the cross doesn't have to be something that just beats you like a pinata. Like, it doesn't have to be that bad. (laughs) 
Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when that day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, stand. I always, I'm sure we could all hear something different in that, but I see in that, I see like the Father's backing in that last statement. Like when you've done everything you need to do, just stand. I got it from here. Just stand. 